He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I'm glad that today the Lord Jesus Christ, the only giver of life, has been honored. And uh, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing to be here and receive in that way. Our brother talked about influencing and that I would be trying to do that. You better believe it. <laughs> I happen to have the conviction that a minister of the gospel should never speak merely to inform, but rather to convince and convict and move in the direction of Jesus Christ. I was so glad that Brother John today didn't teach about outlines and all that. Now, it would have been all right. I, I've taught homiletics before, especially in mission settings. That's the mechanics, the art, or whatever of preaching or public speaking. There's a place for that, I, I guess. But uh, to know God, receive from God, and pour it out. Well, that was, and uh, yeah, we'll be at the end of the message, we'll get back to that, okay? Uh, one of the things I teach in homiletics is that someone should not get up and start making disclaimers. And what I'm about to say is not a disclaimer, but it is a qualifier. The nature of this subject tonight asks me to address dangers. Uh, that's implicit in the title and the subject, that come from other religious people into our lives, influences that we need to be careful about. Well, we have to have a lot of humility about that because we know in part and we prophesy in part and there's a lot of good has come our way and we still use it tonight from what we would call the evangelical world. And we have to acknowledge tonight that we Anabaptists haven't gotten everything completely right. And this is one of these subjects that if you really thought through it, and some of you all probably have, but it could be very, very broad. I suppose you could do a couple weeks in Bible school or something teaching on this subject. All the different doctrines and practices that are affected one way or another by the influences and so I run the danger tonight of you taking something as a blanket statement that can't be made as a blanket statement. So I trust God will, by his Holy Spirit, give you the ability to sort through that. I don't want to condemn or even throw shade, if you understand that, against someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is going to be in heaven, and they don't happen to be a moderate conservative man. Having said that, there are very real dangers from evangelical influence. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask you to help us in our hearts to receive your mind and your perspective on these things and to uh, properly and accurately divine and divide the truth for our living, for our instruction, for our good, and the good of those that we walk alongside and serve. And so would you uh, be the one who takes charge here and works in my heart and mind as well as those who hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I suppose the evangelical world, in a general sense of the word, when they come to the Bible, when they come to the matter of Christianity, their emphasis is strongest on atonement and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And most of them would not have problem with the statement that Jesus paid it all. They emphasize praise and worship and experience, blessings and feelings, a personal journey. Uh, individualism is probably not as big a concern to most of them as it is to us tonight. 
Well, I would like us to open our Bibles and look at God's standard for how the church should function. And first of all, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just say one more time at least that you can't say what I'm going to say in, in an absolute across-the-board sense of the word, but how God uses brothers and sisters who have received the grace of God, have received gifts of the Holy Spirit, have been delivered and are committed to brotherhood and who use their lives and their gifts and their spiritual energies to build the church. And I take in context it is largely the local church, the present body of Christ that we are part of and keep working at that together till we... We are in such a condition by the grace of God because we've worked together to serve Jesus that people can actually see something of Jesus Christ in us. And you've, you've probably all had, I hope you've all had experiences like that where someone who didn't even know you uh, come in contact with you and, and your church and it was like, oh, you wouldn't do that, would you? Or um, I had this, I shouldn't tell this because it's about myself, but I once worked with... Uh, a couple in rescue mission type work who were convinced on the second work of grace and, and really convinced. You know, there were people just sold to this idea. And over a course of time, actually I discovered these people because I helped them out along the road one day and then I got involved with them a little bit along the way. But one day the lady looks at me and she says, are you sure you never been baptized with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of neat to have that kind of experience now and then. But um, the general sense of the evangelical world is not the sense that is held forth here in Ephesians 4. You think about it as we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And then the great commission passage. You can probably quote it. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 19, I think it is, or 18 rather. Matthew 28, all power. He was saying all authority is given to him in heaven and earth. Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. It means make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things where whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If you carry out that great commission just the way it's written there, you will establish and be part of the local body of Christ that represents him. Disciples of Jesus, baptized into the family of God in the name of Jesus, and learning to carry out in everyday life everything he taught. We had a young man one time in our community there who was from an evangelical church, fairly conservative one actually for, for Protestant congregation, but he strongly considered becoming a member with us, attended quite a bit. But he told me one day, he said, you know, in our church, we preach very similar to the way you all preach. He said, the preaching, you, you would not have a problem with the preaching in our church. He said, that's, his, his father actually was a minister. He said, that's the way it's preached. But the difference is you folks at least try to live it. That was his comment. And I don't know, there, there's, there's part of that evangelical world that puts us to shame sometimes. And yet there's parts of it that we can't embrace. I was in an airport not too long ago, and something really spoke to me on this and challenged me at the same time. I'll tell you a little what happened. So I was sitting there just, uh, I don't know, I was reading something on my phone or what, but I was taking care of me. I wasn't, I wasn't out there trying to evangelize the whole airport. Uh, I was there bearing with my mask on. Anyway, uh, but I was observing people around me in this young middle-aged man walks up to another man and as they begin to talk I realized they were strangers he didn't know that man the man didn't know him but it wasn't long he was handing him a card and he was talking to him about the Lord Jesus Christ and I mean he didn't let up on him very easy either he and he finally ended the conversation with well if you ever want to make contact with me there my number's on the card I'd be glad to talk to you about the Lord and I was I was kind of convicted you know but he had there with him what I'm rather sure with his son and daughter. And the young lady was not fit for a Christian to look at. I don't know if you can catch that contrast. And I wondered about that, you know. Unfortunately, that combination happens a lot. Zeal for salvation, but carelessness in a holy lifestyle. More Christianity is more position than a lifestyle. More doctrine in a, nat in a narrow sense than practice. And our brother talked about influence. Influence, and, and he pretty much explained that, is really cause and effect. And so things you're saying, things you're doing, examples you're giving, good or bad, and for the Christian, the presence of God's spirit, and sometimes for sinners, the presence of evil, it, it causes an effect. It 
impacts. It changes people's thinking or actions or the way they see things or understand things. And there's all kinds of things contribute to this. Skill, eloquence, ability, character, accomplishments, or the lack of any of those. We'll have to recognize tonight that we have been influenced years by the evil and are tonight. And some of it has been good. Some of it has not been. We've been influenced on the doctrine of salvation, on revival meetings, protracted meetings. We've been influenced concerning missions, concerning worship. Uh, we use some of their tools, hymns, spiritual songs, choruses, commentaries. I guess, where are I here? Baker's Atlas? Uh, books. And we're influenced about practical issues in our homes, in our morals, in our counseling, in our preaching, in our singing. And yeah, I think, think about the battles we've had with the COVID issue. If you think about it, conservative Anabaptists have never been good at making decisions about difficult issues in short term. How long did it take Mennonites to get through German to English? How long did it take to be at peace about Sunday school or revival meetings or even this pulpit up here. You see, one of you brethren say that, that in our area we avoided a split because we didn't go to the pulpit too fast. Is that what it was? Part of it. Keep the preacher's table. They used to have the preacher's table. I shouldn't say that, but I started now. They used to have the preacher's table and the spit tunes right up there together. So I guess things have changed, some for good, some for bad. Uh, revival. But it wasn't just revival. Sometimes it's been revivalism. And there's a serious difference there. Prayer meetings, Sunday school, podcasts, many other sources, online sources. And uh, it's not all bad. Uh, I think Google has done us more evil and has done us good. But I, and, and I'm amazed at what all they know. I don't know if that's ever amazed you or not. But the people that, or the machines that track me in Google... Know that I use it enough as, as you know, my strong's done disappear long ago. I don't even know where it's at. Um, that thing can know a lot of times by the time I'm halfway through the second word what verse I want. Uh, and once it knows I'm seeking verses, it can almost read my mind, just pop them up. You'd never be able to keep up with a strong's concordance what I can do on that phone. Finding verses. I still, I don't know, something still touches me the wrong way when a minister preaches off of one of those things, but I don't guess it's sin. But I guess I'm an old fogey. I still like paper Bibles, okay? But uh, outside influences, we heard about that today. Outside influences have always been a challenge, at least for hundreds of years. And... It hasn't changed. In fact, it's increased. The electronic age has really increased. Even back in my boyhood, which isn't as many years as some of you think, but uh, we, you know, our our realm of influences was our home church and other churches fairly close around until we went to Bible school or something then extended out a little more. But today, our young people, our young people at Mount Olive, they're tapping into people who are giving them a sense of direction all over the world. And their sources are multiple and many, and I have no idea even what they all are. It's not just the young people. Preachers are getting this. I want to tell you something tonight. You can probably support any idea you want to support online. You can find the source that will back you up right or wrong. It's out there. And I actually think... 
in some ways the ability to go online to search for truth. For some people in some ways is almost danger, more dangerous than all the other filth that's out there. In, in a certain sense of the word, I want to tell you why. There isn't a brother here tonight that knows that if you go online and you see something that's pornographic and you did it on purpose, you sinned and you know it. And right there you got a choice. You either repent and change your ways or you keep going farther. But it's a stark choice. But when you start going to some preacher or some podcaster or some source for religious truth, and it's not as sound as you think it is, you can be deceived and not even know it. And then it don't just touch your life, it can take a whole congregation. And maybe instead of taking the soul down in one day, like the pornography might, in 10, 15 years it destroys a whole thing. I don't think it's my business. Folks, you preachers, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to feed on. You heard Brother John's message today. You do not need one solitary thing more than this to be filled with the Spirit of God and filled with His message. I don't think it's a problem to look up the root meaning of a word or or a <laughs> Baker's Atlas. or And uh, in fact, I almost did a tongue-in-cheek tongue a little bit. Uh, this afternoon as I was still working and thinking a little bit about some of this, I went out to my van and picked up this big heavy volume of a commentary that my father-in-law used in his days. And I got from him and I looked at what he had to say about, or what they had to say about a couple of verses that we'll look at after a while. But uh, you may not agree with me this evening, but I think that preachers ought to rarely quote commentaries. I think you ought to be very careful and not very often quote church fathers. I'll tell you why. You can pick and choose. You have no idea what all they wrote and all they were. I, one Mennonite man wrote a big apology on a certain subject, and uh, a big major part of the article in the beginning was the writings of a church father. So I decided, well, I'm going to check this church father out a little bit. And I found out that he was just a pretty good prelude character to the Catholic Church, held celibacy and real high regard for uh, the ministry and, and a number of other things. You, you're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and love for him and purity of walking in his steps. I'd like to ask you why you think it adds more power, support, or eloquence, quoting from Augustine or any like figure. These men were mistaken on, mistaken on some very vital things and their adherents killed men of faith. And then we think we're going to add authority to our message Quoting those kinds of people? How are you going to condemn a young person for going to some podcast then? You think that's pure just because it was a thousand years ago? By the way, brother, on the subject of authority, let me tell you the authority that comes from positions, not what's cracked up to, I can just tell you that. But authority, spiritual authority. Oh, what a thing to be coveted. The kind Jesus had when they said he spoke with authority and not as the scribes. That is an authority that doesn't come from personality or charisma, or management or administration, it comes from the authenticity stamp of the Holy Spirit upon a life and a message. And you can't get it anywhere but of God. It's the only place you can get it. Once in a while, God just does things that are absolutely stupendous. He, reach out, he reaches out through an imperfect, limited human being and just takes, heart of a, takes a hold of the heart of another person 
and says, this is truth, you better listen. <laughs> and God does it. So I want to talk about some of the pressure points that some of this brings to bear. I really think that one of them is that when we go out, and, and I want to change my subject title a little too. Instead of saying just evangelical influence, I'd like to say outside because it's not all evangelical. Some of it is secular, and we looked at that the other night, but some of it is also Anabaptist. But it's Anabaptists who are not part of the people that we're actually functioning with. And uh, for some of us, that's almost a bigger problem than the evangelical. And I'm not going to name names tonight. Again, I, I want to be humble about this. They may well have to warn you about me. Some people have. Uh, that's fair. Uh, but I think whenever we start in our hearts eulogizing people that are brilliant or able or specialized or they're more progressive, they're professional, as I said, that that has the, that has the tendency to undermine the workings and dynamics of the local brotherhood, as we read in Ephesians. That if I, if I am getting a lot of input for what I think and what I believe from outside my brotherhood, and they are the speakers that I admire. Those are the people I'm going to for my answers. Then I really don't need my local brotherhood. And so I think it can undermine appreciation for my brother. It can undermine my willingness to be accountable to my brother. It sort of leads towards what I would call informational input into my life versus the call to repentance. And the, and the informational approach versus the prophetic approach. And again, this is not blanket, but I thought of that verse that I read the other night, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm trying to think best how to word this, but is the heart of the gospel knowledge or surrender? You ought to know the answer to that. When you say, I am crucified with Christ, you don't need a high school education to get this. You just need to die. That's why the scripture says even before air. That's why people who, I know of people who learned to read because they became a Christian. Uh, it's, it's not knowledge, it's death. Evangelical influence and outside influence makes errors of doctrine and practice easier to embrace, especially errors and practices that represent the one kingdom concept versus two kingdoms. I mean, you see these people who are brilliant and able and educated and prepared, but they're not nonconformed. Their ladies and men are not modest. They, they do politics. Uh, the James Dobbs, well, anyway, the James Dobbs in this world openly say they watch the, the football game on Sunday afternoon. That's purely acceptable. Uh, and so, and we, we listen to uh, Southern gospel music, if you do, and then you discover, you go click, click, and you find out, oh, they're singing a country song. And pretty soon, you know, we just kind of can assimilate right into that. And so I'm saying that when we, when we go for worship and input into our lives outside of our church brotherhood, uh, many times that influence can make errors of holy concerning holy living and concerning doctrine, more palatable and easier to embrace without realizing. And I'm just wondering how easy, if, if we readily go outside our own brotherhood in the Bible for, for answers, how easy is it to be deceived? 
how easy is it to start drinking out of a broken cistern? Have you ever asked yourself the question, just who are the deceived? Are the atheists deceived? I guess in a certain sense they are, but I don't think that's who the scripture is really talking about. It's talking about religious deception. And so I don't think we have the charge of going through humanity and saying, you're deceived, you're not deceived, you're deceived, and just making all those judgments. Unless, of course, we find something that's directly against Scripture. But I think we need to make the choice. I'm going to make sure that my sources are as pure as I can get them. And, of course, this is absolutely pure. And then if we know a brother or sister that's living a life that lines up with this, and we rub shoulders with them, we know their life. And we say, yes, I will listen to their counsel because they live according. I think the general evangelical world tends to emphasize the quick fix, the 10-step method, the set of CDs, the philosophical, or meeting human needs. Uh, And it has influenced us in the importance of professionalism in schools, professionalism in counseling, professionalism in medical and psychological answers to people's fears and character issues and behavioral issues. Now, there is a place for medicine in biological issues, but I said behavioral and character issues, and there is a difference. And we shouldn't be going to medicine or psychology, either one, to treat a spiritual problem. It takes a lot of wisdom sometimes to know where some physical and and spiritual differentiate. We can ask God for that wisdom. But the influence from outside tells us that you as a preacher don't have the wisdom it takes. You need to become professional. I'm alarmed with what the professional has done to churches that are represented right here in this room. And I want you to know when I say that, that I'm not championing being unprepared or unread or lackadaisical in our Bible preparation. You will agree with me. You could read this book a hundred times. You won't be overprepared. So you've got plenty you can do. But we're being affected by even how to run church life, the marketing, the social structure, the entertainment, instead of discipleship and repentance. One of the things that really impressed my heart as I was looking at this message was the exaltation of the individual. And I thought back to what I was saying that I think was the first night about, remember I mentioned the basketball player, I think his name is LeBron James, and... uh, and then Hannity, he's, I think, the most listened to news, cable news in the evenings. And then I mentioned Ken Ham. That probably wasn't fair to him, but I could have mentioned a whole host of others. And then the Anabaptists, and I didn't mention any of those. And don't hold your breath, I'm not going to do it tonight either. But, but you know, now, now, folks, you can hit a few buttons and you can listen to a message from anybody from almost any church all over. I was talking with Brother Nelson about that today, or he, and he was talking with me because I was telling him this story of how I met this couple. My daughter and I were having an ice cream cone, or she was having something else. I was having a cone, and, and uh, my wife was working at an old folks' home that evening, and so we just decided to get a cone or something like that. And, and these people I didn't know, they looked very secular to me. They began to talk to, to me like they knew me, and I sure didn't know them. And so eventually things seemed easy, you know, and comfort zone enough that we started to have a chat. And then finally said, oh, yeah, we've been keeping track of you over uh, COVID time. 
I said, what did you do? I just took a shot in the dark. I said, what did you do? Listen to one of my Spanish messages? Oh, the lady said, yeah, we did. Um, she said, I found it comforting, whatever that means. But uh, yeah, she said, we watch you and Arvin and Terry. And she listed the list. Why? This is in my heart now. I didn't say this out loud. You people wouldn't darken our door unless it was for a funeral or something. Why are you listening to our messages? And so Nelson and I were having this discussion. Or is it a possibility that we're part of this uh, itching ears syndrome? That even, even us moderate conservative Mennonites people just listen to us because we're interesting to listen to, I guess. Maybe it's like going and seeing the Amish. I don't know. Why would people like them take interest in the message that I would... But folks, a lot of this is happening, and I'm very concerned. I want, to, I want you to ask your heart tonight, is there anything wrong when one man is the center of a When one man is the center of a mission? When even a church is known by one man? Now, there might be a bishop that leads out, and so they might say that's bishop whoever's church, but that's not what I'm really talking about. But I mean, you can think and think. You can let your mind go wherever you want to. I thought of the Bronx. The, you know, the Bronx tent meetings. I want, I want to tell you something. When I think of the Bronx, I think of some other things that I've experienced. I don't mean I've ever preached tent meetings like the Bronx, but the issue is you see a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of emotion and things happen, and then, and then, and then it just kind of filters out. I took my daughter one day, and I opened up this one history book, and I showed her a picture of the thousands and thousands of people sitting in the tent and the hundreds and hundreds of people standing up front. And I said, you know, most of those people, they were seeking God. And I'm not saying that some people didn't get saved and blessed. I, I believe it happened. But I said, most of those people over the past two generations have disappeared out of the spiritual world and they've lost their way. And I just, yes, this concerns me. I, and, and we, why would we then, if that's a problem, you know, this famous apologist or this famous speaker about whatever or this Mennonite evangelist who has ability at speaking and, and I don't believe that it's wrong to ever, it's not wrong to go and be inspired sometimes if it's solid and it's biblical or if it's a fellow brother. I mean, I, I don't think it'd be wrong if, if, if I listen to Brother Keith's message or he listens to mine, but I think it would be wrong to start paying more attention to his preaching than what I'm involved in my home congregation. Just because his congregation is not mine, mine's not his. Does that make any sense to you? And we're being tempted to do this. We're being tempted to have our favorite people. I don't think it's good for us. And then you go out there further and you, now you don't have the problem of just going outside your congregation, but you have the problem of, of getting truth from sources that you don't know how pure, itching ears. I've even become cautious about parachurch organizations. I really be careful here. I'll just say that and make a disclosure that I'm on the board of one, but I'm concerned about them because the central organization of those who would be disciples of Jesus Christ is the local body of Christ. What shall we then do? I think of this whole little series of three messages, pressures of politics, of fun, of indulging, of money, of goods, of outside religious influences. What I think if I asked this group here tonight, how many of you think the church has serious needs? Our church, probably almost all of you would raise your hand. I hope you would also feel for me, with me that I love the church. 
I appreciate tremendously the values that you in part represent. And I, I don't have concerns for the church in the sense of that I think we ought to go start some third rail movement. You know what I've found? I've been around a fair amount. I don't mean that in a boastful way, but just through missions and through evangelistic work, I've been around the block a little bit. And I've found out it don't matter if it's a third rail movement. I, you know, I'm just saying like a, a remnant type movement or a, or a church leaves a fellowship group or a conference group and becomes unaffiliated uh, or any of the above, that the basic dynamics of being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ is the same hard work wherever. And I get really weary of people talking about methodology and missions or, or certain church models that they hold up. It's not where it's at, brother. It's just not where it's at. Um, I heard that this afternoon when that brother from years ago told another young brother that if you and I were members of this perfect church, then there'd be two imperfect ones there. Yes. And if you and I find ourselves in an imperfect church and we find ourselves imperfect, the way home is still the way of the cross. Die to yourself and die to your criticism and die to your carnality. And, and you should, I think if you keep dying long enough, you'll love the church as you love the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for her. But you love the church of Jesus tonight. I'd like to encourage you to set a trumpet to your mouth and tell people. It took me a while to really get my head around this, and I'm not in my heart, and I don't know if I'm 100% there yet. But as a young preacher, I had a lot more fire and zeal. I don't know if it was in the belly or in the bones or in my heart or where all it was, but you know, um, I knew what it was like sometimes to preach an entire message with my, my voice at 120 decibels. And uh, I really thought that being filled with the Holy Spirit and emotion and zeal was what the Mennonite church really needed. I'm still, I would still tell you tonight that if the spirit anointing isn't upon our life and our message, then we're wasting our time. But, but I've come to realize that part of Holy Spirit anointment is not excitement and vim. It's brokenness and surrender too. And when people really start, you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit of God. You get filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you'll start repenting and maybe shedding tears and starting to see how worthless we really are. So you don't need to be afraid of that. But I've come to realize that this fire in the bones, yes, absolutely, it goes hand in hand with a holy lifestyle. Produces. If you have a church that's been around for more than 10 years, for sure, if it's a holy culture, instead of griping about that, thank God for it. We ought not be ashamed that our culture is different than the culture out there. It better be different because it needs to be like the culture of Lord Jesus Christ. You think he lived his life like those around him? Well, of course not. Set your trumpet to your mouth and tell our beloved people that yes, we need to pray. And yes, we need to ask God for a blessing and for anointing and for revival. But part of that revival is going to start when they start supporting the church and what it stands for when they start loving and forgiving each other, when they start walking the Calvary road, when they start praying and agonizing for the ministry instead of expecting them to do some sort of magic tricks, tell them that holy lifestyle that results in a culture of righteousness, humility, and love. And then, yes, we need to preach and teach and work with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you what the fullness of the Spirit really is. I used to pray and pray and pray to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
I come to realize that being filled with the Holy Ghost is being controlled by the Holy Ghost. Anything that's control that's filled is controlled by. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not criticizing at all what was said here today. That that's not the point. But I just want to say that if if you're a dry preacher, don't blame it on farming or lack of education. There's no excuse for dry preaching. Absolutely. And if you're if, if you're a dry preacher, repent of it. You need to understand me tonight. You don't have to have a voice that's as strong as my voice. My voice has got me in trouble a lot of times. I'll be somewhere talking and something sensitive, and they'll say, Dwayne, quiet down. They're going to hear you. You don't need that kind of voice. You don't need to preach like John or anybody else that you might have thought did a good job today. But if the presence of God is in your life, you can be an humble, farming, uneducated preacher, and it will move men and women's hearts to repent. And I just want, I want you to know, I hope you know, and I hope you go tell your people that God does miracles in Anabaptist circles. God answers prayers in Anabaptist circles. God brings people to conversion and new birth experience in Anabaptist circles. I've become leery of revivalism much more than I used to. In fact, when I have revival meetings anymore, if I give two or three invitations even in a whole week, I've done a lot. I don't spend much time asking people. When, when they've got their heart ready to repent, they'll take care of it. Um, but I do, we do need the Holy Spirit of God to move. And I, was, I just want to tell you that I was in the Anabaptist minister's meeting one time, and the uh, brother who preached, he was from... Uh, down-to-earth farming background, and I don't think he had more than eighth grade education. I think I heard that somewhere today. It's all right. He got up behind the pulpit, and he said, I've been convicted about pride in preaching. He said, so I'm not going to preach the message I was given tonight. I'm going to preach about the glory of Jesus Christ. What a powerful message. Not powerful in the sense that we often think of powerful, but the gripping of our hearts. I was asked to counsel with a young man that responded that night, and this is what he told me. He said, Dwayne, he said, I knew when I came to these services that I was going to be faced with all this. And I knew that I had serious sin in my life, and I was not going to take care of it during minister meeting times or however it was. He was not going to do it during those days. But he said, there's a power here tonight that I can't explain, and I must get right with God. And that's what we need. We really need to. We, we are in those perilous times. I, I really believe the Timothy three times, that's where we're at. We're in perilous times. And I know, and I hope you know, that there is a way to be faithful in our day. And there's a way to give a message to our people that will help them to be faithful. And we're going to have to be serious about this business. I just really encourage you to, again, may your main source be the Bible. Uh, you, you let... You let a burden of God grip you in this, and you don't need a lot of other resources. You just don't. Teach and inspire and show love for Jesus and his work. And uh, I think that if our brotherhoods come under enough conviction and zeal and fire to love Jesus and serve him, it will help to temper their thirst for the slick and famous. I don't know. I don't have any other answer. How it's a challenge of our day, but, uh, well, you know the old story. The bankers learn the good money, the real money. And so let's turn our hearts and our people's hearts into the love of Christ, his life and his message. And uh, we're going to fight for everyone we can. I wish I could tell you that all the members in all our churches are going to make glory. I know it's not going to happen. 
but we need to be there for the ones that by God's grace we can help make it through and be found. You know, years ago I asked when I was young and more idealism than sense, I asked Brother Glenn Martin, and I realized I was challenging him. I was a young man and he was a well-aged bishop, and I asked him, I said, uh, just what are your goals for the church? I was probably a little cocky with it. And then he preached a conference message, and I'm going to close with this verse that was his. I think I can find it. Whom we preach, this is Jesus, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. May God help us do that. Let's pray. I thank you for these dear brothers here tonight and the sisters, the wives, and families that that help in our ministries and thank you for members of the brotherhood that are here i thank you for those who are taking up the challenge of being salt and light and who have uh, as fathers mothers teachers preachers they have more authority than that of a position they have the authority of the grace and truth of jesus christ in their life and so they can speak to life's issues because they have embraced the truth. And our churches, Lord, have many things that we deeply appreciate. And we thank you for the grace that has led us to choose a lifestyle and a position that helps to foster holiness. And yet, we have succumbed to some modern influences and trends that are endangering souls in our midst. I just ask you to have mercy on us and help us to face these things squarely. Pay the price to be a faithful minister of Jesus Christ until he comes for us. In his precious name.